Chapter Twelve of Shakespeare Personal Recollections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Shakespeare Personal Recollections by John A. Joyce. Chapter Twelve Julius Caesar. O mighty Caesar, dost thou lie so low? Are all thy conquests, glories, triumphs, spoils, shrunk to this little measure? The assassination of Julius Caesar by Brutus, Cassius, Casca, and twenty other Roman senators in the capital of the empire, in broad daylight, was one of the most cowardly and infamous crimes recorded in the annals of time. The historical and philosophical friends of Brutus and Cassius have tried to justify the conspiracy and assassination by imputing the deep design of tyranny to Caesar, who was bent on trampling down the rights of the people, and for securing himself a kingly crown. They say the motive of the conspirators in the deep damnation of Caesar's taking off was pure patriotism. Many murderers have used the same argument. The facts do not justify the excuse. For more than thirty years Julius Caesar had been a star performer on the boards of the Roman Empire, and his family has been illustrious for five hundred years. Sulla, Marius, Cicero, Cato, Brutus, and Pompey had crossed lances with this civil and military genius, and had all become very jealous of his increasing fame. From boyhood Caesar had been a mixer with the common people, and in midnight hours in Rome, among tradesmen, merchants, students, authors, sailors, and soldiers. He became imbued with their wants and impulsive nature. He had no reason to doubt or to oppress the people. As commander of invincible troops in Spain, Gaul, Germany, and Britain, Caesar had secured a worldwide reputation, for the eagles of his victorious legions had swept across the mountains and seas to the shore end of Europe, and screamed in triumph among the palms and sands of Africa and Asia. Caesar was a poet, orator, historian, warrior, and statesman, and the imperial families and politicians of Rome, who were forced to sit in the shade of his triumphs and glory, felt a secret pang of jealousy at the stride of this colossal character. He was the pride and idol of his soldiers, and whether in the forests of Gaul and Germany, the swamps of Britain, mountains of Spain, or among Ionian isles, his presence was ever worth a thousand men in battle action. His plans were mathematical, his soul sublime, and his purpose eternal victory. Bravery and Caesar were synonymous terms, and the little, mean, pismire ambitions of Roman politicians he despised, striding over their corrupt schemes for pelf and office like a winter whirlwind. Brutus, while professing horror at the contemplated assassination of his friend and natural father Caesar, lent a willing ear and sympathetic voice to the prime conspirator, Cassius, and although seemingly dragged into the murderous plot, he was in the heart the grand villain of the conspiracy, believing he might rise to supreme control of the Roman Empire when Julius the Great lay weltering in his heroic blood. Brutus was a dastard, an ingrate, a coward, and a murderer, and no pretense of patriotism can save him from the contempt and condemnation of mankind. There is no 
justification for assassination. The death of Caesar was the first great blow in the final destruction of the Roman Empire, for up to this time the people had a voice in electing their tribunes, consuls, and governors, and were consulted as to the burden of taxation, although many of their previous rulers had been terrible tyrants. Brutus and Cassius and their co-conspirators, city senators, who dipped their hands in Caesar's sacred blood, were finally driven from all political power, their estates confiscated, fleeing like frightened wolves to foreign fields and forests, and perishing in battle as enemies to their country. When bought to bay at Philippi, Brutus and Cassius mustered up enough courage to commit suicide, which is confession of guilt. In the winter of 1597, William was deeply studying the new translation of Petrarch, and Florio was nightly teaching us the lofty philosophy of Grecian and Roman classics. The lives of noted ancient poets, orators, warriors, statesmen, governors, kings, and philosophers, as written or compiled by the great Plutarch, had furnished a mine of historical thought for the dramatic artist, and Shakespeare, above all the men who ever thought, wrote, or talked on the stage, took most advantage of the lines of Plutarch. The British people were clamoring for grand historical plays, not only for the actions of their own kings and queens, but demanded the enactment of the reigns of great, ancient warriors, and kings, who had given glory to Greece and Rome, and left imperishable memories for posterity to avoid or emulate. Burbage, Henslow, and other theatrical managers were ever on the lookout for plays to suit cash customers, and of course the bard of Avon had first call, because his plays went on the various stages like a torchlight procession, while those of his so-called compeers struggled through the acts and scenes with only the flicker and sputter of tallow dips of dramatic thought. He knew, and I knew, that his plays would be enacted down the circling centuries as long as vice and virtue, hate and love, cowardice and bravery, fun, folly, wit, and wisdom characterized humanity. William told Essex and Southampton that he had just composed a play with Julius Caesar as the central figure, and wished an opportunity to test its merits before a private party of authors, students, and lords at the Holborn House, the grand castle of Southampton. These noblemen were delighted with the suggestion, and on the night of the 1st March, 1597, Burbage, with his whole tribe of theatrical rounders, appeared in the great banquet room of Southampton, and under the guidance of Shakespeare, rendered for the first time Julius Caesar. Joe Taylor took the part of Caesar, Dick Burbage acted Brutus, Condell represented Cassius, and Shakespeare played Marcus Antonius, while the other characters were distributed among the stocks, as their various talents justified. Calpurnia, wife to Caesar, and Portia, wife to Brutus, were represented respectively by Hemings and Arnhem. The play opens with the street scene in Rome, filled with working rabble citizens who have turned out to give Caesar a great triumph on his return from successful war. Flavius and Marullus, tribunes, enter and rebuke the people for greeting Caesar. Flavius twits the turncoat rabble in this style. O ye hard hearts, you cruel men of Rome, knew ye not Pompey? Many a time and oft have you climbed up to walls and battlements, to towers and windows, 
yea to chimney-tops your infants in your arms and there have sat the livelong day with patient expectation to see great pompey pass the streets of rome and when you saw his chariot but appear have you not made a universal shout that tiber trembled under her banks to hear the replication of your sounds made in her concave shores and do you now put on your best attire and do you now call out a holiday and do you now strew flowers in his way that comes in triumph over pompey's blood brutus and cassius witness the triumphal march of caesar with jealous and vengeful and dagger hearts and cassius the old and desperate soldier first hints at bloody conspiracy brutus asks what is it that you would impart to me if it be aught towards the general good set honour in eye and death in the other and i will look on both indifferently fine talk brutus is not the only political murderer that talks of honour through the centuries a cloak for devils and human shape to work a personal purpose and not the general good cassius delivers this eloquent indictment against caesar the grandest of its kind in all history well honour is the subject of my story i cannot tell what you and other men think of this life but for my single self i had as lief not to be as live to be in awe of such a thing as i myself i was born free as caesar so were you we have both fed as well and we can both endure the winter's cold as well as he for once upon a raw and gusty day the troubled tiber chafing with her shores caesar said to me darest thou cassius now leap in with me into this angry flood and swim to yonder point upon the word accrued as i was i plunged in and bade him follow and so indeed he did the torrent roared and we did buffet it with lusty sinews throwing it aside and stemming it with hearts of controversy but ere we could arrive at the point proposed caesar cried help me cassius or i sink as aeneas our great ancestor did the flames of troy upon his shoulders the old aeneas bear so from the waves of tiber did i the tired caesar and this man is now become a god and cassius is a wretched creature and must bend his body if caesar carelessly but not on him he had a fever when he was in spain and when the fit was on him i did mark how he did shake tis true this god did shake his coward lips did from thy colour fly and that same eye whose bend doth all the world did lose its lustre i did hear him groan ay and that tongue of his that bade the romans mark him and write his speeches in their books alas it cried give me some drink titinius as a sick girl ye gods it doth amaze me it doth amaze me a man of such feeble temper should get the start of the majestic world and bear the palm alone why man he doth bestride the narrow world like a colossus and we petty men walk under his huge legs and peep about to find ourselves dishonourable graves men at some time are masters of their fates the fault dear brutus is not in our stars but in ourselves that we are underlings brutus and caesar what should be in that caesar why should that name be sounded more than yours 
write them together yours is as fair a name sound them it doth become the mouth as well weigh them it is as heavy conjure with them brutus will start a spirit as soon as caesar now in the name of all the gods at once upon what meat doth this caesar feed that he has grown so great unanimous applause followed this cunning conspiracy speech and johnson lodge and drayton gave loud exclamations of approval caesar with his staff returning from the games in his honour sees cassius and remarks to antonius let me have men about me that are fat sleek-headed men and such as sleep of nights yonder cassius has a lean and hungry look he thinks too much such men are dangerous and never at heart's ease whiles they behold a greater than themselves casca one of the senatorial conspirators tells cassius that caesar is to be crowned king and he replies thus contemplating suicide i know where i will wear this dagger then cassius from bondage will deliver cassius therein ye gods you make the weak most strong therein ye gods you tyrants do defeat nor stony tower nor walls of beaten brass nor airless dungeon nor strong links of iron can be retentive to the strength of spirit but life being weary of these worldly bars never lacks power to dismiss itself that part of tyranny that i do bear i can shake off at pleasure brutus contemplating assassination says in soliloquy to speak the truth of caesar i have not known when his affection swayed more than his reason but tis a common proof that lowliness is young ambition's ladder whereto the climber upwards turns his face but when he once obtains the utmost round he then unto the ladder turns his back looks into the clouds scorning the base degrees by which he did ascend this ingratitude of the great to the people is often recompensed by defeat and death after senatorial conspirators decided that caesar should die Cassius insisted wisely that Marcus Antonius should not outlive the great Julius, and said, Let Antony and Caesar fall together. But Brutus would not consent to the death of Antony, believing that he was not dangerous to their future, insisting that Caesar must bleed for it. Let's kill him bodily, but not wrathfully. Let's carve him as a dish fit for the gods, not hew him as a carcass fit for hounds and let our hearts as subtle masters do stir up their servants to an act of rage and after seem to chide them and yet this is the sweet-scented assassin who prates of honour and is sometimes known as the noblest roban of them all portia the wife of brutus felt a strange alarm at his recent conduct and calpurnia the wife of caesar implored him not to attend the session of the senate reminding him of the soothsayer's warning, Beware the Ides of March. Yet Caesar threw off all fear and suspicion, and said, What could be avoided? Whose end is proposed by the mighty gods? Yet Caesar shall go forth, for these predictions are to the world in general, not to Caesar. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death but once. The hour of assassination had arrived, 
and Caesar, seated in the chair of state, says, What is now amiss, that Caesar in his senate must redress? Senator Metellus, one of the chief conspirators, throws himself at the feet of Caesar, and implores pardon for his traitor brother. Caesar says, Be not fond to think that Caesar bears such rebel blood, that will be thawed from the true quality with that which meeteth fools, I mean sweet words, low crooked courtesies, and base spaniel fawning. Thy brother by decree is banished. If thou dost bend and pray and fawn for him, I spurn thee like a cur out of my way. No, Caesar doth not wrong, nor without cause will he be satisfied. But I am constant as the northern star, of whose true fixed and resting quality there is no fellow in the firmament. The conspirators at this moment crowd round the doomed hero with pretended petitions, and instantly Casca stabs Caesar in the neck, while several other murdering senators stab him through the body, and at last Marcus Brutus plunges a dagger in the heart of his benefactor and father, when with glaring eyes and dying breath the noble Caesar exclaims, Et tu, Brute? And you, Brutus? Thus tumbled down at the base of Pompey's statue, the greatest man the world has ever known. Then the citizens of Rome, royal, rabble, and conspirators, were filled with consternation, while Brutus tried to stem the rising flood of indignation. Mark Antony was allowed to weep and speak over the pulseless clay of his official partner and friend. Gazing on the cold, bloody form of the amazing Julius, he utters these pathetic phrases. O mighty Caesar, dost thou lie so low? Are all thy conquests, glories, triumphs, spoils, shrunk to this little measure? Fare thee well. I know not, gentlemen, what you intend. Who else must be let blood? Who else's rank? If I myself, if there is no hour so fit as Caesar's death hour, nor no instrument of half that worth as those your swords made rich, with the noble blood of all this world. I do beseech thee, if you bear me hard. Now, while your purpled hands do reek and smoke, fulfill your pleasure, live a thousand years. I shall not find myself so apt to die. No place will please me so, no mean of death, as here by Caesar, and by you cut off, the choice and master spirit of this age." Brutus gave orders for a grand funeral, turning the body of the dead lion over to Antony, who might make the funeral oration to the people, within such bounds of discretion as the conspirators dictated. Standing alone by the dead body of Caesar in the Senate, Antony pours out thus the overflowing vengeance of his soul. O oh, pardon me, thou bleeding piece of earth, that I am meek and gentle with these butchers, Thou art the ruins of the noblest man that ever lived in the tide of times. Woe to the hand that shed this costly blood! Over thy wounds now do I prophesy, which, like dumb mouths, do open their ruby lips, to beg the voice and utterance of my tongue. A curse shall light upon the limbs of men. Domestic fury and fierce civil strife shall cumber all the parts of Italy. Blood and destruction shall be so in use, and dreadful objects so familiar, that mothers shall but smile when they behold their infants quartered with the hands of war, all pity choked with custom of fell deeds, 
and caesar's spirit raging for revenge with ate by his side come hot from hell shall in these confines with a monarch's voice cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war the wild citizens of rome clamored for the reason of caesar's death and brutus mounted the rostrum in the forum and delivered this cunning and bold oration in the defense of the conspirators romans countrymen and lovers hear me for my cause and be silent that you may hear believe me for mine honor and have respect to mine honor that you may believe censure me in your wisdom and awake your senses that you may be the better judge if there be any in this assembly any dear friend of caesar's to him i say that brutus love to caesar was no less than his if then any friend demand why brutus rose against caesar this is my answer not that i loved caesar less but that i loved rome more had you rather caesar were living and die all slaves than caesar were dead to live all free men as caesar loved me i weep for him as he was fortunate i rejoice at it as he was valiant i honor him but as he was ambitious i slew him there is tears for his love joy for his fortune honor for his valor and death for his ambition who is here so base that would be a bondman if any speak for him i have offended who is here so rude that would be a roman if any speak for him i have offended who is here so vile that will not love his country if any speak for him i have offended i pause for a reply and then the rabble vacillating fool citizen said none brutus none and continued to yell live brutus live live brutus leaves the forum and requests the human cattle to remain and hear antony relate the glories of caesar finally antony is persuaded to take the rostrum and delivers this greatest funeral oration of all the ages friends romans countrymen lend me your ears i come to bury caesar not to praise him the evil that men do live after them the good is often toured with their bones so let it be with caesar the noble brutus hath told you caesar was ambitious if it were so it was a grievous fault and grievously hath caesar answered it here under leave of brutus and the rest for brutus is an honorable man so there are all honorable men come i to speak in caesar's funeral he was my friend faithful and just to me but brutus says that he was ambitious and brutus is an honorable man he hath brought many captives home to rome what ransoms did the general coffers fill did this and caesar seem ambitious when that the poor hath cried caesar hath wept ambition should be made of sterner stuff yet brutus says he was ambitious and brutus is an honorable man you all did see that on the lupercal i thrice presented him a kingly crown which he did thrice refuse was this ambition yet brutus says he was ambitious and sure he is an honorable man 
I speak not to disprove what Brutus spoke, but am here to speak what I know. You all did love him once, not without cause. What cause withholds you, then, to mourn from him? O judgment, thou art fled to brutish beasts, and men have lost their reason. Bear with me. My heart is in the coffin there with Caesar. I must pause until it come back to me. But yesterday the word of Caesar might have stood against the world. Now lies he there, and none so poor to do him reverence. O masters, if I were disposed to stir your hearts and minds to mutiny and rage, I should do Brutus wrong and Cassius wrong, who, you all know, are honorable men. I will not do them wrong. I rather choose to wrong the dead, to wrong myself and you, then I will wrong such honorable men. But here's a parchment with the seal of Caesar. I found it in his closet. Tis his will. Let but the commoners hear this statement, which, pardon me, I do not mean to read. And they will go and kiss dead Caesar's wounds, and dip their napkins in his sacred blood, yea, beg a hair of him for memory and dying, mention it within their wills, bequeathing it as a rich legacy unto their issue. If you have tears, prepare to shed them now. You all do know this mantle. I remember the first time ever Caesar put it on. T'was on a summer evening in his tent, the day he overcome the Nervii. Look, in this place ran Cassius's dagger through. See what a rent the envious Casca made. Through this the well-beloved Brutus stabbed, and, as he plucked his cursed steel away, mark how the blood of Caesar followed it, as rushing out of doors to be resolved, if Brutus so unkindly knocked, or no. For Brutus, as you know, was Caesar's angel. Judge, O ye gods, how Caesar loved him. This was the most unkindest cut of all, for when the noble Caesar saw him stab, Ingratitude, more strong than traitor's arms, once vanquished him, and then burst his mighty heart, and in his mantle muffling up his face, even at the base of Pompey's statue, which all the while ran blood, great Caesar fell. Oh, what a fall was there, my countrymen! Then I and you and all of us fell down, whilst bloody treason flourished over us. Oh, now you weep! and I perceive you feel the impression of pity. These are gracious drops. Kind souls, what weep you, when you but behold our Caesar's vesture wounded? Here is himself marred, as you see, with traitors. Good friends, sweet friends, let me not stir you up to such a sudden flood of mutiny. They that have done this deed are honorable. What private griefs they have, alas, I know not that made them do it. They are wise and honorable, and will no doubt with reasons answer you. I come not, my friends, to steal away your hearts. I am no orator, as Brutus is, but, as you know me all, a plain, blunt man, that love my friends, and that they know full well, that they gave me public leave to speak of him. For I have neither wit, nor words, nor worth, action, nor utterance, nor the power of speech, to stir men's blood. I only speak right on. I tell you that, which you yourselves do know. 
show you sweet caesar's wounds poor poor dumb mouths and bid them speak for me but were i brutus and brutus antony there were an antony would ruffle up your spirits and put a tongue in every wound of caesar that should move the stones of rome to rise in mutiny the oration fired the roman people to mutiny and brutus and cassius with their followers fled from the city and prepared for war with antony and octavius who had suddenly returned to rome the passionate quarrel between brutus and cassius in their military camp at sardis was the natural outcome of conspirators cassius accused brutus of having wronged him and brutus twitted his brother assassin thus let me tell you cassius you yourself are much condemned to have an itching palm to sell and mart your offices for gold to undeservers cassius fires back this reply i an itching palm you know that you are brutus that speak this or by the gods this speech were else your last the night before the battle of philippi the spirit of caesar appeared in the tent of brutus who startles with a splumbering trance and exclaims ha who comes here i think it is the weakness of mine eyes that shapes this monstrous apparition it comes upon me art thou anything art thou some god some angel or some devil that makest my blood cold and my hair to stare speak to me what thou art the ghost replies thy evil spirit brutus brutus why comest thou ghost to tell thee thou shalt see me at philippi brutus well then i shall see thee again ghost i at philippi the armies of antony and octavius and brutus and cassius meet in crash of battle cassius is hotly pursued by the enemy and to prevent capture and exhibition at rome craves the service of pindrus to run him through with his sword he says now be a freeman and with this good sword that ran through caesar's bowels search this bosom stand not to answer here take thou the hilt and when my face is covered as tis now guide thou the sword caesar thou art revenged even with the sword that killed thee dies brutus is run to earth and most of his generals dead or fled he imposed strato to assist him to suicide and says i pray thee strato stay thou by thy lord thou art a fellow of good respect thy life hath had some smack of honour in it hold then my sword and turn away thy face while i do run upon it farewell good strato caesar now be still i killed not thee with half so good a will runs on his sword and dies antony and octavius and his army soon find brutus slain by his own sword and with a most magnificent and undeserved generosity antony pronounces the benediction over the dead body of the vilest and most intelligent conspirator who ever lived this was the noblest roman of them all all the conspirators save only he did that they did in envy of great caesar he only in a general honest thought 
and in common good to all made one of them. His life was gentle, and the elements so mixed in him that nature might stand up and say to all the world, This was a man. The whole audience, led by Southampton, Essex, Bacon, and Drayton, gave three cheers and a lion roar for Julius Caesar, the greatest historical and classical play ever composed, and destined to run down the ages for a million years. End of chapter 12